0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, this is Robert Wright. Fourteen years ago, I co-founded Blogging Heads TV, which produces the podcast you're about to hear. And I'd like to ask you for some help. Blogging Heads is an independent podcast network that presents a diversity of views, including some that are well outside the mainstream, and provides a place for civil discussion between people who disagree with each other. We think this is very important at a time when political polarization is a famously big problem, and a lot of podcasts, with all due respect, sound like ideological echo chambers. If you want to help support our mission, you can make a donation by going to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash nonzerofoundation. That's patreo dot N-O-N-Z-E-R-O Foundation. The Non-Zero Foundation is the nonprofit I run that operates Bloggingheads TV and also operates Meaning of Life TV and puts out the Non-Zero newsletter. And by the way, you can get that newsletter for free by going to nonzero.org and subscribing. Now, if you don't feel like supporting our endeavors financially, we of course encourage other forms of support like rating and reviewing our podcasts on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice, or standing on street corners singing our praises, or whatever. In any event, thanks for listening.
1: Hi, welcome to Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host, Aria Cohen-Wade. This is Culturally Determined. And my guest today is Micah Utrecht. Micah, could you Introduce, introduce yourself.
2: Sure. I am the managing editor of Jacobin Magazine, which is a socialist quarterly. I mostly do stuff online, and I'm also the host of our podcast called The Vast Majority. And maybe most relevant for the purposes of this conversation, I am the co-author with Megan Day, who's a Jacobin staff writer of a forthcoming book from Verso called Bigger Than Bernie, how we go from the Sanders campaign to democratic socialism.
1: Uh, great. So, thank you for coming on today. So, the the genesis of this episode was I was thinking about you know the space and uh, like on Twitter that I the people I follow you know it's mostly uh Bernie people and pro Bernie people if they if you know if they've declared an allegiance and some Warren people and then maybe a smattering of of <laughs> other types of people. But that, but um, those are the main two groups that are kind of fighting on you know left to center left uh, Twitter, I would say. And I, you know, if I'm torn between these two camps in some ways, I think, I think if, if, you know, if the election were today, I would vote for Warren. Um, but I, you know, so I'm obviously not super enthusiastic about that yet. Um, and, you know, there are things about Bernie that I like. I actually voted for Bernie in 2016 after, um, A, uh, failed attempt to write in someone else's name on the ballot for the primary in New York State where they, 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 the old man there told me I couldn't do that. So I said, okay, I'll just vote for Bernie then. Um, so. Who did you want to write in? I wanted to write in, uh, former New Jersey Senator Bill Bradley as a, as a (sighs) protest vote. Um, I grew up in New Jersey and I'm actually in New Jersey now. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I was, I was definitely anti, uh, Clinton in the primary and, but also thought that, you know, Bernie was running kind of like a protest campaign that just happened to take off. And I didn't think, you know, he was, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't ready to embrace him. And, you know, at the, at the time, I foolishly thought that basically anyone would, um, defeat Trump. Um, maybe we, the Democrats selected the one person who couldn't defeat Trump. We'll never know. Um, or maybe we will know if Bernie gets the nomination this time. So, anyways, that's my, my history. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a leftist. I'm not a socialist. Um, and, uh, so probably like, you know, I would say that leftists and socialists also don't make up the majority of or even a significant minority of the Democratic uh, primary electorate. It's probably more like people who are kind of into uh, Joe Biden or something like that. And the, the one, one other point I wanted to note, this isn't really a point, but factoid, there's a poll that came out this morning from CNN and uh, Biden has 34 percent of the Democratic vote. He's somehow hit a new high. Uh, Warren and Sanders are tied at 19 or, you know, effectively tied at 19 and 16. And then we have uh, Mayor Pete and Senator Harris behind with six. So it's always ways, uh, the, the fight between Warren and Biden, at least in the online world, seems like the fight to the death. And but maybe Biden is secretly running away with this thing while the people on the center left and the left are going after each other. So that's, that's one thing I want to talk about. But let's start with like why should I someone who's leaning towards Warren, Bernie curious, why do you think uh someone like me should should vote for Bernie?
2: Well, I guess I would first ask you what it is uh, that makes you lean towards Warren rather than Bernie to begin with.
1: Right. Well, I mean she seems I, these are the, these are the boring things that like would get you mocked on Twitter. Uh she seems more realistic. This is a
2: safe space, don't worry.
1: Okay, I'm I'm glad. Uh <laughs> she seems more realistic um about her plans and what it could possibly take to get them enacted, whereas Bernie seems like more pie in the sky about uh, coming up with plans that uh, would be great if you could sna- maybe would be great if you could snap your fingers and they would exist um, but I think would be you know harder and possible to actually implement so something like Medicare for all um, I think if if we could snap our fingers and have universal uh, health coverage instantly I think that would be great and that would be like a huge improvement in living conditions and uh, quality of life for all Americans uh, it seems like almost impossible to be that this will happen you know in the next 20 years even um, I'm remembering the you know crazy fight over Obamacare which was really an incremental reform that included carve outs for all the uh, various interest groups that are involved in healthcare, and you know they were all behind it, and it, it even still it barely passed it was almost gutted by the Supreme Court, um, it's still being fought over. T- today, they're still trying to repeal it. So if that was this giant um, this giant effort that, you know, was like half a low for less and barely passed and might, might even still be undone in some crazy way because, you know, Federalist Society judges are going <laughs> to pick it apart in some way we haven't even thought of, then, like, Medicare for all and making that, like, first priority, like... In, in like jumping back in the crazy pool of uh healthcare politics voluntarily. Like that that was you know, that was very dangerous for Obama, but he got something passed. It was very dangerous for Trump when he tried to repeal it. Um just like messing in <laughs> messing in this world at all is is fraught and you know goes in strange directions. And yeah, so, so I Sandra, so it sounded like that on on multiple levels. There are some other like specific Bernie qualms I have about his age and so forth, so yeah.
2: So I so I hear what you're saying on this stuff, and um, I guess I'm, okay. T- following with the example of healthcare, we have seen what it looks like when you advance even a tepid set of reforms to our healthcare system in a progressive direction, which was what. Obamacare was with all these carve outs with all these things that you mentioned that were that were less than ideal especially for those of us who want Medicare for all um but but you know even with that sort of tepid approach to uh, our our tepid uh, attempt to change our healthcare system we still got just this you know foaming at the mouth uh, reactionary backlash from the right uh which is Seemingly, uh, their strategy on uh, everything at this point, right? I mean, like any kind of reform that you're going to try to put forward in a progressive direction in American society will be met with this kind of backlash. We, of course, remem- remember the accusations of uh, Obama being a socialist and all of that. Um, and so for me, what feels, uh, you know, what, what actually seems realistic in terms of winning the kinds of progressive changes that we want to see are not running from that fight, uh, not pretending like there's some, you know, one weird trick that we can uh, do to avoid entering into that battle. But that, that is the sort of stuff of, of politics, especially in America, especially in the 21st century. And uh, Bernie is the one who is most unafraid to jump into that fight And to put forward a really bold and uncompromising moral and political vision uh, that sort of, you know, that says that uh, he embraces the kind of FDR style rhetoric of uh, I welcome their hatred, you know, whether it's the health insurance companies or whether it's the right, Um, he is he is rearing to go for that fight. And uh, for me, we've seen that when you're when you're not rearing for that fight, we've seen what what the right wing backlash can do for you. And so uh, that that kind of bold and uncompromising stance uh, that's ready to go into battle against the forces that want to stop progressive change from happening is what we need in American politics right now uh, in order to transform in a progressive direction. And we're getting that so much more from Bernie Sanders than any other candidate, uh, including I would say Elizabeth Warren.
1: Mhm. I guess I would I would just respond, you know, so, you know, Obama when he came in, well, it was this moment of crisis with the financial collapse, but also he was, you know, he was trying not to be a scary, you know, far left person. Like he was accused of everything possible. Um but he, you know, uh his in his uh, manner in the policies he pursued, the people he appointed, uh so, you know, perhaps to his detriment appointing um Clinton Secretary of State, uh elevated her in order so that she could run for president uh years later. Uh but yeah, he was, you know, he was center left to center. Um and so I guess he was able to get some things passed um but not, you know, he he didn't really act boldly. Now, I, I mean, what what the last time there was real bold legislation in America, I guess it would be the like uh Johnson civil rights stuff. Um I mean, you know, and and before that you would say, I guess, you know, the New Deal. Um, you know, both of those were kind of crisis moments. Um and you know, there was big success but also huge pushback by the Supreme Court and by the states, so forth. So I don't I don't know if if it's just like going going big, going bold, you know, saying, Yes, Medicare for all, yes, like private insurance will be outlawed or or whatever the exact um Statement is you know if that's you know you you could go big and get nothing because you know we still have the filibuster. I want to ask you about what Bernie actually thinks of the filibuster. I'm, it's, I'm a little <laughs> unsure. Uh, he he seems to have some sort of like one weird trick actually to way to get around it. But he, but these you know people who are in the Senate for a long time often come to embrace its bizarre traditions, and he seems to be fine with the filibuster. So the Democrats are not going to have sixty votes in the Senate no matter what happens. And so Mitch McConnell will probably still be there, and he'll be doing everything possible to stymie the efforts of whoever the president is, if it's a Democrat. And, you know, we're still stuck with this crazy constitutional system that, uh, you know, gives you – know, everyone knows the, the, the way it distorts um, – it distorts the, the will of people. So, you know, unless we're thinking, like, the revolution actually is going to be overturning some of these things, which seems unlikely, then, like, how do you actually get any of this stuff accomplished?
2: Well, let me just first go back to what you, you first said about the New Deal and the Johnson administration civil rights era being the last time that we saw sort of, you know, massive transformative change in this country. Um, both of those periods were times when we not only had, we didn't have, it wasn't just that we had some kind of, uh, uh, you know, president in FDR or in Johnson, uh, that, Uh, were were uniquely willing to fight for uh, progressive change. I mean, obviously, it did matter that they were in office as opposed to, like, open reactionaries, Uh, but those periods were periods that were marked not just by who was in the presidency, uh, but the kinds of actions that were taking place in the streets, in, in grassroots movements, in the labor movement. You know, the 30s, of course, saw these massive upsurges, 1934, multiple general strikes in Toledo, Ohio, and Minneapolis and San Francisco, and all kinds of disruptive labor organizing happening all across the country, to the point that elites were really terrified that we were going to see some kind of, you know, Russian Revolution-style overthrow of the existing order. Uh, you know, similarly, obviously, in the 60s, with the civil rights movement with the student movement with the anti war movement, there was this widespread ferment in the streets uh, that pushed that that social change into happening uh, of course we 're in a slightly different uh, moment right now in that we don 't have anything like that those 30s-era union organizing or 60s-era civil rights movement, although we're seeing some signs of you know, a re- rejuvenated labor movement. I'm in Chicago where there's a teacher strike. We might we might hear the uh, teachers actually march by my apartment while we're <laughs> in this conversation. Um, so we're, we're, there's some signs. And, of course, the Democratic Socialist of America, which I'm a member of, is sort of like rejuvenated left uh, energy. But we don't have anything like what we had in the 30s, in the 60s, and early 70s. And to me, Bernie's campaign... Um, represents almost kind of a, a, a attempt to reverse engineer some of, of uh, reverse engineer that kind of movement, street level, grassroots level energy that we had in those eras. Like we don't have that happening right now. And so Sanders says, you know, this campaign slogan is not me, us. And he's using his campaign infrastructure as we've seen to turn people out to picket lines, to have uh you know st- uh, striking workers speak at his rallies to send his supporters in a given geographic area to uh striking uh, to, to strikes and to other kinds of protests and he's, he's saying that you know we're not going to be able to accomplish anything any of the big stuff that i want to accomplish without building those kinds of mass movements so um his campaign represents to me certainly the best chance that we have to actually uh to to build those movements we would have a, a President in the White House through uh, Sanders who would actually want to use his position to build those things um, and, and sees that as the way that we change the world. That's unlike anything that we've ever seen, even in those movements, those moments, a mass upsurge that we've seen in the past in, in the US and to me that's that is how social change happens is through that kind of uh, uh momentum at the at the grassroots level and the street level and um, this is what what socialists and 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 you know progressive uh, sort of like labor movement types and other uh, other people who you know who are involved in grassroots movements have long said is is what what really matters uh is is affecting that kind of mobilized Movement to change, uh, to change the world and, and, Bernie's campaign represents our best hope for creating that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so cu- a couple of things. So, um, not me, us is, that's a, that's a good slogan. It's definitely better than I'm with her, uh, which was <laughs> a bad slogan. And I mean, how did they not, not think to not do, not us, her? Yeah. That's basically what how that. did they not think to do she's with me instead of I'm with her? I'll never, I'll never know. Uh, You know, any campaigns who want to hire me on that, based on that uh, possible slogan, just uh, you know, DMs are open. Um, But okay, so yeah, so I mean, there there does to be there does seem to be some sort of, um, you know, the the labor movement after being like battered, you know, for half a century or more does seem to be reviving in some small way or reversing some of these things. It's mostly uh, public employees, uh, but but there was you know the strike at. at GM, um, as as well, that seemed to be successful. Um, so yeah, something's happening there. I mean, there's also, you know, like we have seen mass protest movements spring up in the age of Trump. Um, I attended uh, some of these marches. The uh, the women's march was, you know, reportedly the largest protest in American history. Uh, the march for science, um, as well, and then the um, uh, the march for our lives, I think it was called, that's started by the students in Parkland. Um, so you know, there's these individual Individual kind of movements, like they haven't all, they haven't congealed as far as I know, and there's been controversies around some of these. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like the the spirit of taking to the, like taking to the streets um, has definitely been revived in the Trump era. I can see that. I guess the, the, I mean, I've seen this idea, especially on Twitter, that, you know, we need change only happens through mass movements, and Bernie is, is like leading or trying to lead a mass movement. And, you know, my response is like, well, he's at 16% in the polls. Like, like you know, is Joe Biden leading a mass movement? He's at thirty-four, according to the CNN poll. So, like, those people probably aren't marching the streets. But if Bernie is in second or third place in Democratic primary, then how could he lead a a true mass movement that is like going to like change the shape of the country when he's you know you, you have to win the Democratic primary first and he's he's not cruising to uh to victory right now.
2: Well, sure. I mean. Polls are up and down. They're changing all the time. And, yeah, he's he's in most polls. He's not in first place. Uh, Biden is, I think, at this point. It might be uh, in part because we, I feel like we don't hear a lot of news from Biden on the campaign trail lately. We're like, I think they're keeping him uh, hidden away from voters. So, that would so be, that
1: would be a smart move. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So he doesn't stick his foot in his mouth some more or some other body part doesn't, you know, do something that's not supposed to. Um but uh no, of course. I mean, you know, he's he's making a case to, to the American people, and and not not everybody is buying the case, or not everybody's even heard that case yet. I mean, you know, I, I went to the post office today to mail uh, the other day, not today, uh, to mail a bunch of uh, uh, things out, and the the person at the post office asked me, uh, "Are these like invitations uh, to something?" And I said, "No, they were." stickers that i had printed of bernie's tweet that said uh, uh if there's going to be class war in this country it's about time the working class won that war and so i had mentioned to this person that uh it was tweeted from bernie sanders and she said who's that and i was like Ber- bernie bernie sanders like you-, you didn't hear and she's like she had no idea who bernie sanders was so really uh, oh, okay. yeah i mean she was intrigued <laughs> when i described him but um, you know, there's there's still people like that who are not like you and me. Who yeah, the- eat sleep and breathe on Twitter, who haven't made up their minds yet. But the point, but sure. your point is well taken that like he's he's not, not in first place in the polls. I mean, to me, you know, I, I you know whatever this is what the primary process is for is is for introducing these people and their ideas to the American people and. That it takes a while for those ideas to sort of trickle down to the, to the average voter um, and, and for a name recognition to build and all that stuff. I mean, for me, what, what, I, I guess that my starting point is more like that for years, we, decades, we didn't think that we – thought, we thought that socialism was this dirty word – that if you touched it, you know, you would turn to stone or whatever, that like the worst thing in the world you could possibly be was to be a socialist and to have a vision of the world, to openly proclaim a vision of, of the world that looked radically different from the one that we live in. And, you know, in, in Bigger Than Bernie, uh, this book that I'm working on with Megan Day, I write in the intro about how I, even I, as a, someone who's considered myself a socialist for, you know, a decade and a half at this point, I sort of believe that line that, the American people would never buy, like I, I was a socialist because I thought it was the right thing to do, but it wasn't like I ever thought that my politics would ever have mass purchase in American society. And, uh, what we learned from Bernie's 2016 campaign and then now is that actually there are millions of people who are very much interested in a completely different kind of politics than the one we're used to, one that makes these sort of unapologetic uh, bold demands for Medicare for all for uh, free college tuition and public college tuition. Um, and so to me, you know, obviously there's a sort of horse racy up and downs in the polls and, uh, Bernie's not on top now. He could be later. Or Biden could win the whole thing. Um, but the, the sort of bigger lesson from what's happened over the last couple of years is just the, the basic lesson that there actually is some hunger in America right now for those kinds of transformative uh you know working class politics uh, politics that 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 wants to really change the way that society is run in a fundamental way and not tinker around the edges and then at the same time we've also learned of course that like the polar opposite of that can also have uh, a, a great deal of purchase that trump's you know right-wing xenophobic you know erratic uh, bizarre uh populism can also have mass purchase and so um so I guess what I'm saying is that both there is clearly a hunger for my kind of politics, at least in in, in a broad sense, and that politics is up against you know the, the it's up against the right wing populism that seems to be also on the rise here and abroad, and and I would you know venture to say that um, our kind, that Bernie's kind of of of, 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 of bold left wing politics is a is a better uh, way to defeat. The, the noxious right-wing populism that we see ascended elsewhere than a kind of tepid centrism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I would just note, I, you know, in, in 2016, Bernie benefited by getting the anti-Clinton vote within the Democratic Party. You know, he, he was the alternative. Um, you know, there were a couple other people running, but they were jokes. And so I think. I feel like the don't man- speak
2: L of Lincoln Chafee. Right, like
1: a Chafee was. Was Jim Webb actually running? I can't. I can't even remember. Anyway, um, uh, oh, O'Malley, That was that other guy who Matt Iglesias uh, was a big fan of. But um, you know, so you know, he ended up getting forty five percent or something like that of the vote. Um, but I think that you know, mandate was overinterpreted by some because, well, as, as you said, he's somewhere between fifteen and twenty or so currently in the polls. And, you know, there's there were a lot of people, I think um, many people doing that, I'm that either, like, inside or outside the Democratic Party didn't understand in 2015 how many people out there in the voting public did not like Hillary Clinton and mm-hmm. really wanted to vote against her. And so that helped Trump and it helped Bernie as well. Um, I mean, I think, like, yeah, I mean, Bernie has showed and the growth of DSA has showed that, like, that, you know, it's not being labeled a socialist is not the thing that's going to get you, like, laughed off the stage in the way maybe it would have 20 years ago. Um, And there's a some percentage of the population that that appeals to. I feel like if we you know, if if America was like a parliamentary system, then there would be like a socialist party that maybe got 15 percent of the vote or something regularly. And then like a center left party, um, maybe Mayor Pete would be in charge of it. And, you know, that would get like 35 percent of the vote or something. But, you know, we're stuck with this as well
2: as like a party of capital capital. That it was on its own, and then sort of a party of the sort of hard right populist, sort of xenophobic stuff. Like that, we probably have a whole bunch of other kind
1: of parties. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the alliance, the, the classic, you know, conservative alliance with the three three legs of the stool, the you know, the foreign policy hawks and the uh, right. low tax people and the religious right, you know, was a marriage of convenience, as, as I think Trump has showed, and maybe they would have in a parliamentary system they would splinter into some sort of different uh, configuration. Um, and who knows where, which party trump <laughs> would belong to and in that system, probably not the re- religious right one, even though they love him um yeah. but yeah so but you know we're we 're stuck with this two party system um as you know as the Simpsons street House of horror episode put it you know about thirty years ago, and you know what <laughs> how can we you know i i think i think would you agree with me that like less than fifty percent of the people who consider themselves Democrats are like you know, would also consider themselves leftist or socialist or however you want to label it.
2: Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're 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 not we haven't won hegemony yet. We're Jacobin's traffic is pretty good these days, but we're not, you know
1: <laughs> okay. we're not quite there yet. So it's a matter of time. Um yeah. but, but of yeah. course
2: I mean, you know, that's always been that's been true in, in most countries around the world. I mean like socialists uh you know there there are some obviously some examples, you know Chile where where the socialists as part of a broad left coalition won the presidency in 1970 but like most of the time in in even countries where socialists have had significant influence they haven't been uh you know won the majority of their population over to uh you know call themselves you know socialists like say yes I am a socialist and here is what being a socialist means to me in a coherent and you know uh, sensible way mm-hmm. I mean it's it's a, a more about it's sort of injecting these broad socialist ideas into the the body politic that actually have some purchase from people
1: mm-hmm. okay when when bernie says i'm a socialist does he mean the same thing that you mean when you say i'm a socialist
2: Uh, broadly, I think. Well, I mean, so I guess this is a question that comes up a lot. is sort of like, is Bernie a real socialist? When he gave his democratic socialism speech, a lot of people were, you know, saying, wait a minute, this guy's just talking about, you know, FDR and the New Deal. Um, and he's, he's not talking about any, you know, this is not, when I look up the Wikipedia definition of socialism or Marxism or whatever, this is clearly not what Bernie is saying Mm -hmm. from the, uh, saying from his, his bully pulpit. Um, you know, I think I read, I think I read, I believe it was Lenin who once said that, like, there's there's no such thing as a sort of inherently radical politics. The radicality of, of a, a policy or of a, of a strategy is all context dependent, mm-hmm. right? So what is unique about Bernie is is not that he is sort of like there is a set socialist program and he is up there reciting chapter and verse every day. The, the every single facet of that program he is he is sort of uh, you know looking at the American scene and you know with all of its shortcomings in it was whether it's the you know the, the arcane and, and undemocratic uh, political system that we have or, or you know some reactionary ideas that some Americans might hold whatever um, he is sort of looking at that and and figuring out how to advance a, uh, a, a broad left-wing politics in that context that makes sense that people actually buy into. I mean, this is what he says all the time, right? Like, when people ask him about being a socialist, he's like, well, uh, it, you know, it, is it, is it radical to say that everybody deserves healthcare? Is it radical to say that everybody deserves, uh, free public college tuition? I mean, if that's radical, then I guess I am a radical, and I think that lots of other people in the United States are radicals too. Um, Bhaskar Sankara, who was on Blogging Heads recently, mm-hmm. was a, uh, the founder of Jacobin uh, coined this term in his book, The Socialist Manifesto, co- manifesto called uh, Class Struggle Social Democracy, which is that, you know, social democracy, you know, policies that put a check on the free market, um, things like, you know, Medicare for all is like a social democratic policy or, um, you know, the, the, the uh, Nordic countries that have really robust welfare states. Those are social democracies with strong social democratic politics. And social democracy has checks on, you know, the sort of worst of of the free market of capitalism, but it's still a society in which the capitalists are in charge. It's still a fundamentally capitalist society, just with greater uh, public protections against the depredations of the market. Um, And uh, Bernie is largely putting forward social democratic policies, policies that would not be particularly – Radical in different countries or Mm -hmm. in a different time in history. Um, But what is radical about what he's doing is that he's not just saying, I think we need this stuff. And I am the uniquely sort of moral and capable and smart guy to win you those things. He's he's saying that we need the class struggle part. He's Mm -hmm. saying that there, there needs to be sort of movement from below. Uh, you know, mass movement of of the working class and and, and you know, millions of people throughout society to win those things, and so um, that to me is is what is what you know why that question of like is Bernie a real socialist? Is is his socialism somehow different from you know me as a as a editor of a socialist magazine or whatever? I mean, we could we could have an interesting conversation about that, but to me the more important point is that. Uh, he's using his campaign and fighting for these social democratic demands in a way that can put us, you know, that could put millions of people into motion that can build those mass movements and that could potentially allow us to win something more in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, there's a, a counterfactual history where Obama um in 2008 and nine did not kind of stop paying attention to the like millions of people who are energized by his campaign. Right. And you know what would have been like what would have been possible if there was some sort of mass movement um, behind him in that period because it really was mostly an inside game um, to get Obamacare passed and the um, you know financial reform stuff passed. Um, okay, so I don't, yeah, I'm skeptical, but you know if it happens, I'm, I'm interested.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you saw. Um, I think it was Ryan Grimm in the Intercept the other day interviewed Sanders, uh, or or has wrote an article about something Sanders said about you know how Obama had had that idea of, like, oh, there's millions of people in motion. He created Organizing for America, and it was going to be the way to sort of give grassroots energy to get his agenda through. And then, of course, he, he, he mothballed the thing for the most part. And so uh the, the article was in... uh in, talking to Sanders and Sanders saying, like, I'm not going to make that mistake again if I win the presidency to mothball that 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 uh, the energy that my campaign has uh, unleashed. That's that's something that he uh, you know says would be at the center of what he would, what he would, how he would um, uh, conduct himself as as president, um, which is obviously uh, distinct from Elizabeth Warren's approach. I mean, there's the sort of class, as I said, the class struggle approach and the social democracy approach. That, that, are, that are combined and Elizabeth Warren has elements of that social democracy approach, but she certainly doesn't have that same class struggle approach towards winning the social democracy.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's let's talk about Bernie the man uh, for a few minutes. I mean, you mentioned that he you know he doesn't want to be the um, you know the be all and end all, and, and you're writing a book about what happens after Bernie. Uh, but let's just you know we we have a strange pathology in this country about the president being kind of like the you know universal daddy and God figure <laughs> and biggest celebrity in the country. And, you know, Obama had that in many ways and Trump has just turned it into this, you know, funhouse kind of craziness, um, reality TV show. But, um, okay. So Bernie, I he's, is he 77? Is that
2: right? I think he just turned 78. If I'm not mistaken.
1: Okay. So he's in his late seventies. Uh, he recently had, a heart attack or two heart attacks seems to have bounced back very quickly and recovered. Two heart attacks.
2: I've never heard. Oh,
1: I thought, I thought maybe he had two blockages. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Okay. He had a, he had a serious um, heart problem. And, but within like a week and a half, he was back on the debate stage. Seemed to be fine. Uh, Seemed to be his old self. Um, But obviously, you know, he, he is old. Um, Now, does that matter? Well, Trump, Trump is old. He's 72 or so, 73 maybe. Um, And Biden is around the same age. And Warren is seventy, I think. So all these yeah. the four most likely people probably to be the next president are all seventy or above. Um, some of them are clearly experiencing some form of cognitive decline. I would say. Yeah, I was
2: going to say, up <laughs> the, the top, of the top, of the three oldest candidates. Bernie's brain is clearly functioning.
1: Yeah, so okay, <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. He does it. He seems very sharp. Uh, whereas clearly Biden has lost a step and is kind of just fumbling around and doesn't really you know start talking and then start saying things that don't make any sense. And then you know Trump, who who knows what's wrong with his brain but (laughs) something is and if you watch old clips of him he's much he makes much more sense and he can speak in paragraphs and now you know he's just a doddering old grandpa Um, okay so on the one hand like can we fucking get rid of these baby boomers and this gerontocracy that is like strangling the country or we're stuck with these four people seemingly mayor Pete, maybe he'll break through. Probably not. Um, so but he's I mean, got,
2: he's got a good 40 years for us to, you know, see how, how his, yeah. where he's going to be with us for the rest of our lives.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, so yeah. Okay. So there's just the, the age factor, which is I think inescapable, but also like, it's not like Trump could use the age factor against Bernie because he's like four or five years older at most but you know these old people they can just you know have a heart heart attack and die at any moment um and then there's also like bernie's persona and um so i i watched the not the most recent debate after the heart attack but the one before that i actually don't like watching the debates and i don't have cable tv and i never i don't like watching videos on twitter because they're annoying to watch so i rarely actually see any of these people uh you know in, in like moving around um uh, in video and so it was my i was at my mother's house where i actually am right now and uh they have they have cable and they have uh a high def tv also and so it was my first time seeing the full full crowd you know in action <clears throat> high def um okay biden did not come off very well in high def like whatever he's done to his face didn't look good i honestly thought i mean i had seen bernie like from 2016 i honestly thought he came off as crazy like, he, he's, um, he was right off the bat angry and pointing at the camera and seemingly like in a rant from the very beginning. I thought Warren, whatever her makeup job is, like, came off well and some of the other ones less, you know, more or less well. But, uh, but of the three, I thought Warren came off well. Now, does this matter? Trump like paints himself orange and has a bizarre manner and way of speaking and his brain is going to continue to decline, you know, <laughs> the next year before the election. So does this kind of thing matter? Is it, it's going to be you know two old, decaying brains <laughs> up on stage? Does any of this matter at all? And then like okay, one of them is going to win. And then you know if Bernie serves the full term, then he's like eighty two at the end of the at the end of the term. And does he want to run again at that point? Like they always seem to. Uh, like who was the last one who decided not to after the end of one term? Would be like James K. Polk or something. And and. Yeah, so then he's like 86. Like, do we want it? Do we want a president to be 86 years old? So, I mean, do you have any thoughts on all, all this uh, craziness?
2: Well, on the age question, I mean, you know, age is age is relative, right? I mean, what, <laughs> it's just a number. It's uh, just <laughs> a number, as somebody once said. Um, he he clearly, as we've said, he clearly has the sort of uh, he, he's sharp. He's like even after a heart attack, he's out there uh, fighting. I mean, t- to me, this this stuff. Is, is not something that I, I worry about particularly, just because he clearly is in good health and is in his, you know, he's, he's functioning well and he has more energy certainly than I do as a 31 year old. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't handle his uh, schedule uh, that he's that he's on. I mean, more important is that like he is, he's the the only one who's putting forward this kind of uh, transformative agenda. Uh, and so you know he's the only one who i i would back i mean he, he's the the only one who who whose politics uh have the potential to to transform the the country in my opinion. and you know you mentioned during the debate that uh you didn't you didn't like him uh sort of me,
1: that is a I'm sorry you, you broke uh, off really that's something that you broke off for one second there on my end so can you just repeat that Oh yeah, which which. Uh, so after, yeah, I was watching. You know, so the debate and Bernie uh, pointing at the camera and that stuff.
2: Oh yeah, so you me- you mentioned not liking seeing his uh, finger pointy, angry demeanor and stuff. Clearly, Clearly. that has some purchase among people uh, voters because I mean he keeps doing fairly strong numbers at this point at the in the primary, and he he seems to like tap into it, a real anger that people have about the state of affairs in the country right now. Um, that, you know, people appreciate the sort of like angry grandpa who, uh, refuses a combination of sort of angry old grandpa and old Testament prophet. It was like, things are really bad and I'm going to like point my finger and yell and raise my voice until it's hoarse, uh, to talk about how bad they are. Uh, so, um, I, I don't I don't think you know I mean I'm from the Midwest you know I get I get uncomfortable when people start yelling uh, <laughs> <laughs> i didn't I didn't hear a lot of yelling growing up <laughs> I, I still find the my parents are always like I love Bernie but like why why is it why is he yelling like that uh, but you know I think it speaks to that level of, of, of anger I mean it's just like it reflects the dire state of affairs in American politics uh, of you know what what's going on with the climate of you know endless wars of of crushing student debt, crushing medical debt and a private medical system that's not serving people's needs. I mean, all of it, it sort of reflects that. And I think peace tapped into that and people, people agree with it on, on at least a sort of gut level. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, I think that is the kind of response that we need to a, a right-wing populism that is clearly has no qualms about doing the same thing I mean, if, in terms, you know, maybe some of the sort of like genteel yeah, uh, uh you know professional class uh democratic voters uh get uh, along with the Midwesterners like like my parents, uh don't like the yelling. But like clearly people didn't have any problem with the kind of just horrific uh remarks that Trump made and continues to make. Like there there's still a large numbers of people who back then there were enough to get an elected president. So
1: right. I don't think which was, they, was a minority think, you know, as you know we we all know but talk yeah, t- yeah. talk as if it as if it weren't I mean yeah, so in some ways it's like, okay, did was was Trump this clearly unqualified buffoon character winning, like, a fluke, or did it, like, say, okay, the rules have changed, like, we're in some sort of different era, like, you know, Obama was never mad, like, I mean, there's a racial part right. to, like, him his expression of anger, but he was always very calm, you know, sure. like, I can't remember him yelling about anything ever, whereas Trump is mad constantly because he's an old person who's watching Fox news all the time and they and gets riled up and fires yeah. off a tweet. Um, so, you know, do people want that kind of anger? Um, people on the right wanted that kind of anger, but do people on the left want that kind of anger? Like, yeah, most people, I don't know. Like, you know, the, that kind of frothing, <laughs> I mean, Bernie's not frothing, but that kind of like emotional demonstrativeness, like hasn't been seen on the left in among the leader in a long time. And I mean, I think the, you know, there's like like I said, there's this pathology in the country about like the president is our like elected monarch, you know, father figure. You know, we think about him constantly. We're always saying his name. So he's in our lives all the time. And, you know, what <laughs> what after the craziness of Trump, you know, I, I honestly think like I mean, the, the one of the reasons that like Biden would win against against Trump is that people are just tired of the craziness. They want a return to normalcy. And just, like, can we just not pay attention to politics anymore and get back to our regular lives and, like, right. you know, not be fighting with our cousins and and uh, always, like, scared to turn on the news and see what the latest thing is? Just, like, do the boring things that, like, you're supposed to do and let us forget about it for most of our lives. Like, I think that that's a very appealing message to most people, to the regular people who think about politics very little, uh, like, feel like they need to vote because it's their civic duty, but are not not in the weeds, not obsessed with it, don't watch MSNBC or Fox or anything. So, yeah, so I I don't know. Um, (laughs) I I mean,
2: I think that it is certainly possible that someone like Biden could win up against Trump. I mean, I I wouldn't say that 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 wouldn't happen. Um, You know, maybe the the, just the sense of being driven totally insane since 2017 uh, with the just daily madness that comes out of the White House is enough to get people uh, to to want to get rid of Trump. But in terms of building the kind of uh, long term political coalition, uh, you know, with bringing on, uh, you know, working class voters with, uh, you know, going beyond what what has become the sort of uh, typical milieu of the Democratic Party at this point, like like bringing back in a sort of large percentage of working class voters into the uh, into the fold um, and. To try to uh, create the coalition and to try to create the kind of movements over the long term that can transform American society. I mean, certainly Biden is not going to bring us that. Um, no. So you know, it might be possible. I have I have some doubt. I, I thought for sure that Clinton was going to win in 2016. Obviously, I was proven wrong about that. Uh, but you know, Biden could potentially win in 2020. Um, but what I'm worried about is the squandering of that energy right when it feels like we might be on the precipice of creating something larger in American politics, uh, that could bring about the kinds of, you know, dire transformations that we, that we really, really need right now and in, in climate and everything else. Um, and Sanders campaign represents the best, uh, the best opportunity that we have to do that, to build it over the long term. And I think, you know, uh, obviously this weekend the news came out uh, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and uh, Ilhan Omar and I think soon to be Rashida Tlaib uh, endorsed Sanders, which I was on the really on the edge of my seat about seeing if that was going to happen um, and, and on sort of my darker days was worried that it definitely wasn't going to happen and then uh, all of a sudden they all come out and do this and to me uh, that helps I mean, we were, somebody like me was banking on the ability of Bernie to affect a, a longer term transformation of American politics. And I think the way that the Democratic Socialists of America, for example, have grown because of his, uh, his campaign, uh, in large part because of his campaign, like that, that's what that growth helped, you know, represents like long term. Maybe this could be a sort of source of activist energy, maybe even some people running for elected office. Um, So we we saw we saw some some movement in that direction. But with the endorsement of of the three of them, now it feels like, okay, we have the sort of electoral uh, basis for a long term, uh, you know, left project in American politics. Like uh, whether or not Bernie wins uh, the nomination, wins the presidency in 2020, there are we were starting to cohere a group of people around this sort of, like, DSA-like agenda mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it's obvious, obviously, like, we can imagine somebody like AOC running for president when she is of age to do so, or, you know, uh, Omar getting elected to the Senate and just c- continuing to rise, their, their stature continuing to rise in American politics. And so we're, we're sort of seeing the, the beginnings of, of that, uh, both the sort of, like, activist-level um uh, you know, there's, a, there's the activist base through something like DSA, and then there are the sort of like political uh, electoral representatives in uh, ocasio Cortez and Omar and Taleb and others who are you know running for office uh, in this cycle and who have already won. Um, that that is starting to be built, um, so that gives me even more optimism about uh, the ability for that kind of radical politics to actually catch hold in American society.
1: Yeah, I I mean it's it's interesting that um Ocasio-Cortez and Omar did endorse Bernie and did it um in the manner and time that they did it. I mean they could have I I think you would agree with me that it, it's a less than fifty percent chance that he that Bernie wins the primary. Um so you know they were playing they're playing against the odds. If they wanted to just sit on their hands, they could have. There probably would have been pressure to endorse someone. You could easily see them I I think endorsing Warren Instead, and sure, th- yeah. so the fact that they did decide to make a huge splash and endur- endorse Bernie, um, you know, so they're laying their chips with him, but also I think looking towards the future and saying like, yeah, the like, if, if not this time, then in some future time, like people like people will remember that we did this and it'll help us if any of them want to be <laughs> senators or uh, president or or whatever. Okay, let me. And um, uh, hey, can I just
2: before, go, yeah, before, go ahead. just real quickly on that question? Um. Yeah, I think it would have been from a sort of purely careerist uh, perspective, that would have been the move to make, like either endorse Warren or I mean, I don't know if you know if you read the Politico article that explained the backstory of the Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. endorsement. Uh, she she called Bernie literally in the when he was in the hospital after he had, had the heart attack uh, and, and, you know, gave, said that she was going to endorse him. Uh, while he was laying in the hospital bed, which to me is like almost like a, you know, she felt she had to get right with God or something before, because she didn't know it, or maybe Bernie Sanders is about to die in this hospital bed, and she and she like you know pledges him th- this endorsement at that that moment, and so to me that indicates that this is somebody who's not just worried about their their uh political prospects for the for the future and sort of ingratiating themselves like maybe there's a new left-wing energy within the democratic party but i'm going to sort of play at a safer lane w- within that you know l- which i would consider to be the warren wing is like you know people we're going to make some changes in this party but like we're not going to burn the whole thing down yeah. um she she clearly like in that moment felt like no i have to stick with sanders and and, and just in terms of somebody who wants to Keep winning office and rise in the in the party. Uh, that would have been a smarter move. And so it indicates that, that that those figures are up to something else. They're interested in doing something else uh, with, with their political careers, and that, that seems more in line with the, that kind of Sanders like politics and building that kind of movement that that people like me are hoping come out of his candidacies.
1: Yeah, and I mean AOC, you know, is such a star and is so talented that she could like I think write her ticket if she wanted to leave congress like it has to be a pretty awful job being a representative uh in general you know just you have to hang out with all these stupid <laughs> awful people um your your fellow uh, re- representatives and so she could you know start some kind of organization or a media outlet or whatever if, if she wanted to and people would like want to see what she does um yeah so she doesn't have to like just be the careerist um pun- you know like doing what's expected of her to, to like slowly move up the ranks or something. Um, okay. So I want to talk for a moment at least about kind of the way Warren versus Bernie is playing out online and the um, various, maybe uh, true or false stereotypes about the type of people who support uh, Senator Sanders. So I'm, I'm going to actually read to you a a text message that uh, I was talking to a friend and I mentioned that I was taping this episode, and I jokingly said, so next time you talk to me, I might be a Bernie bro. And she texted back the uh, uh, ghost screamy face and said, oh no. And she says, just kidding. I like a lot of things about Bernie, but some of his supporters are terrible. Um, So, you know, th- th- there was a debate whether I think in 2016 whether the Bernie bro even existed or not. Like, I think that kind of type of person does exist. Um, But, you know, it's gotten, I don't know, Bernie supporters, at least online, have gotten a rap. As being, you know, like, misogynists, uh, possibly racist, all sorts of bad things. And, and then there's also, like, the kind of opinion le- leaders among a certain group of people on Twitter who are very pro, um, very pro Bernie and these be, like, the Chapo, uh, trap house hosts and people who are in, like, that, you know, like, dirt egg left media orbit and then people who Right for uh you know Jacobin or current affairs or something, and yeah so what do you, I mean what do you think of this that like oh, I like Bernie, but his his awful supporters <laughs> they're the worst uh,
2: this has become obviously a huge talking point, and it's one that to me is just designed to uh you know fashion something to uh to denigrate the, the the movement that he's that he's built, and, and it's it's one that doesn't bear any relation to what the actual polls show. or the uh, what who is part of the sort of Sanders voter coalition? I mean, he's got a uh, a more working class co- uh, voter voter base than than uh, any, or the, certainly than than Warren. Um, he has a more diverse voter base than Warren so this time around, especially uh, you know he. Uh, the, the campaign is populated. It's, it's a it's a diverse campaign staff. I mean, like w- clearly, uh, the numbers show that this sort of Bernie Bro uh, smear is one that it, this just isn't reflected in reality. I think that um, I mean anytime I always find it bizarre that that anyone wants to sort of like draw uh, any kind of uh, uh, conclusions from like weirdos tweeting on the internet. Like it's so internet, it's so easy on the internet to just to like screw with people, like to create your own Twitter account for whatever reason and pose as whoever you want and like wreak whatever kind of havoc and like each people kinds of names. like whatever, like that's the easiest thing in the world. Like it's, it's, it, you know, we have no idea who these people are. Um, I mean, unless they're, you know, Somebody who's a prominent uh, journalist or public figure or something. We don't really know who these people are on the internet, and um, so I just don't. The obsession with that uh, is is so bizarre to me. And it just seems to be one that's designed to uh, write off the the excitement of like a million. You know, there's like he's got more donors than ever than than anybody in, in American history ever has. He's got more small do- donations. Like his whole campaign comes from grassroots support. Like if that is your base of support. Like, of course, you are going to draw some, like, you know, eccentric people and people who are probably, like, rude to others on the Internet. Um, and I think – but that's, like, more of a reflection of the fact that he has just gotten normal people excited in his, about his campaign and there are normal people participating in the political discourse in this election cycle. Um, so, yeah, those are sort of the two the two pieces. Like, one, we don't know – for all we know, it could be, like – Biden staffers, like creating, you know, these sort of birdie bro uh, or it die. The, it could
1: be the Russians. It could be. It could be anybody.
2: We have no. We have no clue who it is. Um, but also, it's just a reflection that, like, when the rabble—I mean, that, that's what I feel like people, don't like people don't like when the rabble are like involved in in politics, uh, and uh, you know, it makes them uncomfortable that they're not sort of like abiding by the norms of discourse that uh, you know the rest of us in the kind of media media sphere have. Um, have, have, have all agreed to <laughs> abide by for the most part. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, but the, the more important answer is just in the, in the polls. I mean, like that, that kind of like white, uh, male, um, you know, th- that, his entire voter base made of white, white males just isn't borne out by the poll numbers.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, that, that's true. And, uh, Twitter is this weird, has this weird distorting effect where, you know, if, if there's 10 people who are kind of working either explicitly together or they just happen to all be doing the same thing and they're directing it at you at the same time, it's, it can seem like, you know, the world is like everyone in the world is rushing at you and trying to get you for something. I mean, I had a very early run in with, like, alt-right Twitter trolls in, like, February 2016 before it was, like, widely known what the, these people were. I didn't know who they were. They were just sending me memes about, like, um, putting me in the gas chamber and stuff. Um, so so who, who were these people? We'll, we'll never really know. They all got banned. Um, they did seem to be t- Donald Trump supporters. So we can say that. Like, I don't think it, it's, like... You know, uh, obviously a a politician who's getting millions of of votes can't be responsible for really any of those people, and this is a huge country with plenty of psychos (laughs) wrapped up in it. Uh, That being said, like, the fact that the alt-right people were like, yeah, Trump is our guy, uh, it turned out it did seem to indicate something about both Trump's appeal and, uh, you know, who he actually was. Um, I don't know. I mean, if, if Bernie disproportionately attracts, like... White guys in their twenties who want to like fight with middle-aged moms on Twitter, like I then that kind of says something. I don't know, I don't know what exactly. And yeah, the fact that all the media people are on tw- on Twitter makes things that happen there seem much more important than they than they are in real life.
2: Right, and I think that the the overwhelming majority of this base of voters is from people who are not extremely online. I mean, that's what's so. Uh, exciting about his campaign, that he is, you know, getting people who are not the, the political junkies who are who, who don't even necessarily vote in every election, right? I mean, that's an explicit part of his campaign strategy this time around, as it has been his entire career, which is to excite people who are not usually excited about politics by putting them forward. A different vision of the world hear from other elected candidate, uh, candidates for elected office, uh, and, uh, and 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 saying like you know I'm, I'm putting forward an agenda for you, and and that's why you should be excited about my candidacy and and, and vote for me. Um, so yeah, so he's like bringing people into the political process who haven't been brought into in the past. That's his wager, uh, and again, to me, that's that is the the sort of stuff of a longer term. Uh, transformative bottom-up project, uh, That th- that is how we'll, we'll be able to affect that project.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, if if the nominee is Biden or Warren or one of the other cast of characters and not Bernie, will the people who are big Bernie fans now uh, vote for that person against Trump?
2: I haven't looked at whatever the data shows on that. I'm sure there are polls out there that ask that question. I know that um majority of people who uh, I think strong majority of people who voted for Sanders also voted, voted for Clinton. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I think the majority of, of people will do that. But the, the bigger question is like when the people don't make their, their political decisions, whether who to vote for or whether to vote for it all on purely or purely rational calculus. Right. I agree with that. Like, like, people who are not, uh, you and me especially, or maybe even us, or maybe we're not fully rational either, but, <laughs> but but especially people who are not sort of, like, uh, you know, spending every waking moment of their life thinking about politics, they, they make their, their political decisions based on, uh, you know, feelings and, 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 and much less, you know, they, they, they don't parse every piece of information oh, and for sort sure. of like, yeah. put it on a table and then, like, uh, they say, like, oh, Bernie is, is pissed off and wants to, like, you know, burn down the the system that has clearly not worked uh, for people like me and for other people, and that's why I like him. And if I don't get somebody like that, uh, then I don't want to vote for them. Uh, and I, I, we could tell them, we could wag our finger at them and lecture them about how that is not. You know, a, a, a rational and, and, and smart way to make political decisions, um, but it is also just a reality. I mean, we saw that in the last election, right? Like, there were lots of people who should have been, you know, on, on paper should have been voting for Hillary Clinton, but were just sort of had this gut feeling against her and, and decided not to go to the to the polls. And you know, I'm—I mean, if I—I I, I live in a safe blue state, I live in Illinois. If I live in a swing state, I would—I would have voted for. Clinton, I would have, uh, I would vote for whoever the the Democrat is in uh, 2020 if I lived in a swing state. But in terms of the energy around groups like Democratic Socialists of America, I mean, at the convention that I was uh, elected delegate to this summer, the organization voted not to endorse anyone but Sanders, and that was because the organization wanted to plant a flag for a kind of politics and say that this is our, our baseline. We have to have, uh, people who will, um, you know, both have certain, a certain policy agenda when it comes to imperialism and war abroad and Medicare for all that stuff. Um, but also have this, 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 the class struggle orientation, this sort of using their candidacy to, to spark a bigger movement and, Anything less than that, we as socialists are not going to uh, get behind, um, which yeah. is obviously distinct from will socialists vote for a Warren or a Biden or whatever. But it's like, will the organization get behind that kind of politics? And so I think you're going to keep seeing people like, uh, you know, groups like the Democratic Socialists of America, certainly uh, Jacobin. You'll you'll see us continuing to insist that we need this kind of transformative politics for a long term transformation of, of the United States, and um, we're, we're, we're not going to sell for anything less. And, of course, that's what the right did, you know, since Barry Goldwater, right? Like, there there's the, a the, the far right, uh, you know, ran, ran Goldwater and, and then continued to run, uh, you know, pretty uh, – pretty farther and farther right candidates and drag the rest of the country with them rightward. It worked out pretty well for them to plant a flag and say, you know, we're, we're, these are the, the core issues that we're not going to compromise on. N- not, uh, you know, just any Republican will do for us. We need somebody who's committed broadly to our to our program and can advance our program. And so um, I know this sort of drives a lot of people in the, in the pundit class uh, insane, but um, to me, it's the only way to... Uh, so advance the coherent politics and stick to it and, and like get it purchased over the long run.
1: Mm-hmm. Um we've gone a little over an hour, maybe one more question and then you can talk about your book if, your book project if you're, uh, if you want to, uh, which you're working on currently. Um so, you know, what, how do you view, how do you view Warren and, like, okay, so the sense I get from following lefties on Twitter is that people, they decide, you know, decided, we got to take Warren down to occupy the like left lane of the primary. So let's, t- you know, go go at her what we, with what we can. Um, you know the uh, the Nathan what's his name who runs current affairs? Not Robinson. Robinson, yeah. Nathan Robinson, okay, I was right. Um, you, you know, posted these. Um, uh, this cookbook, pages from this cookbook that she had, like, participated in, like, uh, given a recipe to that was called, like, the Pow Wow Chow or something, um, you know, uh, bringing up the whole Native American uh, Pocahontas theme that Trump is, uses as is currently only card against Warren. Um, your co-author, Megan Day, I also recall her uh, making the case that the, like, uh, the, the Pocahontas stuff should be taken seriously. And, you know, it's not just a smear, but there's something, like, telling there. And then there's also just the, like, larger critique of her from the left of being kind of like, you know, not Hillary 2.0, but she's, you know, just another another neolib and she's not really going to change anything. Like, she's uh, cagey on Medicare for all, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the view from, I think, either the right or the middle is, like, uh, Liz Warren, a leftist maniac. Uh, she wants to tear down capitalism. Uh, you know, she's basically unacceptable. Uh, there's, there's an episode of Blogging Heads, uh, that's gonna go up very soon after we finish recording this, where, uh, Matt Lewis, um, conservative host of the, co-host of the DMZ says, um, you know, he's, he's supporting Trump's impeachment, and, uh, he's a never-Trumper, and he says, uh, but, you know, if Warren is a nominee, then, like, all bets are off, and, like, the, the conservative people who are disaffected from Trump will come running back because Liz Warren is, so scary to them. So th- these both can't be right, obviously. Um, but what, what, yeah, what do you see? Like, uh, you know, how does how does Warren? I mean, Warren. If if Sanders weren't there, if Sanders you know decided to retire to Vermont or something, then you know, would people say <laughs> would people on the left say like, okay, Warren, she's like pretty good for now. We'll we'll rally behind her, or would she be a neoliberal shill? Uh, pocahontas uh, kind of thing what do you think about this
2: well there's there's a couple of different questions that are there i mean the the sort of um powwow chow question is one that i think when when people on the left like nathan robinson raise it it's it's to say like this is (laughs) can you imagine what the general election uh would look like between trump and elizabeth warren and trump is just going to Talk about that incessantly. He's never going to stop talking about and, and uh, you know the, the supposed like the first first Native American uh, pre- professor at Harvard. You know all of that stuff. That's just like stuff that is going to come up like on the on the campaign trail. So um, and stuff that is just weird and, and that we're not really talking about that much in, in the primary right now. But like to me, that's not the primary the the, the principal issue right now. I and mean, the principal issue is more on the the differences in politics and certainly I would uh I mean I, I would much rather see a president Warren than a than a president Biden I mean she would be a uh, uh, you know much to the left of most uh, anybody uh, who's occupied the presidency in in the last century um but the I mean one issue is as we were talking about before that lack of a commitment to you know the, the class struggle piece of the class of the class struggle social democracy, like the missing movement piece, which is is one of the principal reasons. That's the big thing that the the book that we're working on is about. Is about that movement piece. There's also just that substantively there are some like really very much key differences between Warren and Sanders. I mean, one of the one of the most important is on foreign policy. I mean, Bernie has a what I think is a, a, a an anti-imperialist worldview he thinks that the US has often played a really uh, destructive role uh, around the world uh, whether it's you know fomenting coups in places like Iran and Guatemala and Chile um, or you know the the invasion of Iraq and Vietnam. I mean, uh, in the 80s, when he was a mayor, you know, a staunch opposition to the U.S. intervention in Central America, in the 80s and 90s. Um, that, that is a worldview that I don't think Elizabeth Warren shares, because she, you know, substantively, she's far from the most hawkish Democrat on foreign policy, but she... Is pretty much in the middle of the pack, which is a pretty strongly, you know, uh, strong commitment to the role of the U.S. in the world as this uh, imperial policeman. Uh, And so, so, you know, there are there are really real substantive uh, differences like that 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 really matter. I mean, they're not just sort of like, oh. I mean, like, on the foreign policy question, that's the difference between tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people dying abroad. As a yeah, and, and, of and
1: the president there. has much more unilateral power in the foreign policy realm, as Trump has shown, than um, yeah. they do in the domestic front where you need to actually pass exactly. it Congress. Congress.
2: Um, and it's also that, uh, you know, like, on questions like you brought up the Medicare for All question, for example. I mean, it's not that I don't believe that Elizabeth Warren actually wants to win Medicare for All. It's that I don't think she... Uh, is committed to doing what needs to be done to win it. Like, like I think in her mind, she wants Medicare for all. Um, although she has been really slippery on the campaign trail about it. But without that commitment to, um, to, to uh, sort of a, a bigger movement, to sort of as Bernie is always saying, taking on the uh, health insurance executives, uh, taking on uh, the, the private healthcare companies. Um, we're, we're not, we're not going to get it. Uh, I, I'm worried that we would end up in a kind of uh, like obama like scenario in which uh, a person a president gets swept into office with all of the sort of uh progressive uh, excitement behind them, and people think they 're really going to transform the way that things work in this country, and then most of that energy ends up dissipating and then people become disappointed and disillusioned, and some number of them end up going in you know the direction of a of a rising right wing populism that that says you know you know these these this Democrat, this progressive, you know, promised you the world and then didn't deliver it. And and so then they say, how about, you know, my my agenda of right wing xenophobia and, and all kinds of awful things. So um, so to answer your question in the sort of shortest form possible, uh, you know, President Warren would be would be. Would be good, would be better than the alternative, but I, she, she, the, the difference between her and Bernie in terms of how she sees the world, in terms of how she sees political change coming about, um, and in terms of where she actually stands on substantive issues, um, like foreign policy or, or, or like how she's going to win Medicare for all. I mean, all of that stuff is a really big difference. Uh, it's, it's not just sort of like stuff that you can hand wave away. There, there are substantive differences there. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I have a much stronger belief that, you know, Bernie would be able to would – be, would be willing – you know, both have stronger personal commitments to parts of, of, a, of a, you know, anti-imperialist and, uh, you know, anti-climate change agenda, but also uh, will be doing the things that need to be done in order to make that actually happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Let me, let me just briefly prognosticate. I'm not a great prognosticator as long time viewers of the show, uh, will know, but I mean, I think if, if Bernie wins, he'll try to do Medicare for all and it'll fail because Congress is very, very hard to, you know, pass anything through. If any of, anyone else, uh, any of the other Democrats win, they will not do healthcare first. They'll focus on, like, immigration or climate as, as the first thing because, yeah, just, you know, their, their political advisors will just tell them, like, look, we can improve Obamacare, like, through executive stuff and, uh, through the agencies and you just, it's just like a swamp and you're just gonna get, like, pulled under by any sort of healthcare push. Like, Bernie, like, believes fervently in this, so he will try it. Um, the other ones won't try it yet, won't try it and we'll try something else. I have no idea if anything else will succeed. You know, McConnell will just uh filibuster everything and the, they're too chicken to get rid of the filibuster. Who knows? Um, so, yeah. So a lot of fail. I anticipate. I mean, I the other prediction I would make is I think any whoever is nominated is going to beat Trump. Um, I, I think he's much weaker than he seems. But I, th- I think it is going to be the next term. Whoever it is, it will be just a lot of like kind of stalemate stuff. But, there's you know, there's, of course, there's always new things happening all the time. And, you know craziness hopefully less craziness than over the past couple years um
2: just before you move on can I just say briefly that um I understand the worry that you're articulating but I do think that I mean fundamental Bernie's worldview is that is 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 a less sort of static view of our politics that there are things that we can do you know obviously you know Mitch McConnell is Mitch McConnell he's not going to not be Mitch McConnell. But in, in terms of other elected representatives, in terms of the conditions that all of us are operating in, there are ways to transform our society and our politics. He believes that that's through mass movements uh, and, and through his sort of like uncompromising left wing uh, uh, candidacy. And you know, when you think about something like Medicare for All, like 10 years ago, who would have guessed? or even six years ago, who would have guessed that like, this is where we are, where the you know, majority of Americans now support this stuff. It, you know, I think he believes in the ability to change the conditions under which politics happen through mass movements. And, and uh, this sort of puts his hope in that. Um, so that's, that's, that would be that argument for, uh, do you know, that politics is malleable, that, that, that people's political ideas are not fixed and, and that, that they can shift, uh, in, in ways that we can't even comprehend necessarily right now
1: yeah i don't know i guess i'm more naturally more pessimistic and also you know it's such a like complex weird conservative system of government that we have uh that you know favors the small states favors the rural areas etc you know if we could have if we did have some sort of like political revolution to like fundamentally change how we work and we had a par- parliamentary system instead of a you know, bicameral, uh, congress and a prime minister instead of a president, then it would be easier to get like big things done, but like the system is just set up to, uh, prevent that from happening. And it's kind of a shitty system. Um, you know, kind of, yeah, <laughs> we're <laughs> discovering. So ch- changing the system seems very hard to me as well, but would maybe ultimately like have, you know, bear fruit more than, than trying to w- work through this screwed up system. Um, okay. So why don't you want, can you want, you want can you talk briefly about the book you're working on uh, that you've mentioned a couple times?
2: Yeah, so uh you know, I mentioned that uh it's co-authored with Megan Day, who's a Jacobin staff writer. It'll be uh, published by Verso early next year. Uh the title is Bigger Than Bernie. And it's um you know, we we, we I was I was working on it right up until the, the moment that we uh, uh started doing this conversation. Uh it is a number of things. I mean, the, the 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 I've gotten to a bunch of the themes so far already in this conversation about how what what is so unique and remarkable about the Bernie campaign is not just the policy agenda that he's putting forward, but the sort of vision of change in society that he's putting forward. Um, and so uh, I talk about sort of what is unique about his candidacy. Um, it's also, I think, the uh-huh. most a comprehensive overview that exists yet of what the democratic socialists of America have actually done uh, in, in American politics since, you know, since 2016, since it was a sort of reborn organization. We talk a lot about DSA elected candidates, you know, not just Bernie, but like uh, who, who's not a member of DSA, but of course, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who is a member of DSA, but also, you know the half a dozen city council members in the city of Chicago where I live who uh, were elected to city council this year. Um, uh, other campaigns that failed, but uh, you know at the state level, like in uh, the state assembly in California, but a, a broader but kind of movement politics was born out of their campaigns. Uh, we talk about uh, what exactly socialists and or what exactly like people who are inspired by the, the Bernie campaign uh, should be doing. Uh, you know, beyond, you know, running more people for office, uh, you know, we talk about the labor movement and we talk about fights for affordable housing and so, and how, uh, you know, socialists and other activists should be involved in those movements and how they're really, uh, tied up. In the, uh, you know, they're, they're of, of a piece with like what, what is so important about the Bernie campaign is, is the way that it is sort of energized those movements. So, um, you know, we're trying to do a sort of overview of what we've learned from Bernie's two candidacies, what we've learned from the last couple of years of this upsurge in interest in membership in the DSA, um, what kind of grassroots movements, uh, have, have, been kicked off over the last couple of years. What other ones could exist in the near future, and how uh, you know all of that energy is what we need to save the planet from burning to a crisp and save you know people from being you know crushed by medical debt and student debt and all the rest of it. So um, the, the title of the book is "Bigger Than Bernie: How We Go From the Sanders Campaign to Democratic Socialism," and Versus publishing it uh, in early 2020.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, maybe uh, you and or Megan can come back on. Uh, when that book comes out, and talk about it some more. Um, so I think you, you did not convince me to vote for Bernie <laughs> if the election were today, uh, but you did give me uh, a lot of interesting stuff to think about, uh, and hopefully – uh, our viewers and listeners had some, uh, uh also received some interesting thoughts uh, from this conversation. So, uh. If
2: you, if you don't change your mind in the next 24 hours, I'm going to be ceaselessly attacking you on Twitter. Right. A true Bernie bro.
1: <laughs> right. So everyone, yeah, be safe out there from the Bernie bros on Twitter <laughs> or if they approach you on the street. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so Micah, thank you for coming on and taking the time. And, uh, thank you to our viewers and listeners and we'll see you again next time.
2: Happy to be here. Thanks.